Welcome to Annersbrook Church. We hope this message empowers and encourages you. To hear more from our church, make sure you subscribe or visit our website at annersbrook.co.nz for a service near you. so blessed today to have uh, Pastor Luke joining us today. And, um, you know, uh, Luke, Melissa and the family, they're actually uh, down in Nelson on holiday uh, for this the week for a week or so. And, uh, you know, we thought, what's, what's the only thing that you can do when you find out that a uh, pastor is in Nelson? It's get them to preach, you know, like, so we said, hey, you have to come. It's one of the key things you do when you holiday in Nelson is go to Annesbrook Church and preach. So it's great to have him. Great to have him here, but um, uh, Pastor Luke and, and, and Melissa, they're actually uh, they're lead pastors of Life Church up in Auckland. Uh, they're, they're key, key uh, people in making uh, Life Church happen and honestly, amazing leaders. Uh, Luke is an incredible communicator, carries something on his life to just reach so many people. And, uh, you know, he's a part of a very big church. Life is so influential. Life Church is so influential, not just in New Zealand, but in multiple nations and making a difference for the kingdom of God. Online, they're doing a lot of stuff with Life TV. They're doing things that are really reaching so, so many people. And uh, that is, it's a a big spirited church, which is actually something that Luke in himself carries. And um, I'm excited about what he has to share. I believe that what he's going to say is going to help you and impact your life. And so can I encourage you today? Just have your heart open. Have your, have your ears open to what Luke is wanting to say, but have your heart open to what God is wanting to say. And, uh, and let's see what might happen today. Anyone excited for this? Well, come on, why don't you put your hands together. Let's welcome Luke up to the stage today as he comes to share the Word of God. Here we go. Here we go. Thank you, thank you. And can we put our hands together for Isaac and his merry men, his legends leading us in worship. Thank you, team. You guys are awesome. How's everyone doing? It's good. Can you hear me? It's good. Who loves church? That's good, because I love church. Church should be enjoyed, not endured. Anyone with me? And uh, it is great to be here. A real honor. And uh, Pastor Paul and Marie, our senior pastors at Life, who are great friends of Pastor Brent and Viv, uh, uh, send their love. And uh, we are doing well as a family here on holiday. My wife, Melissa, actually, Missy, why don't you stand to your feet, turn around, give the people a wave. Come on, the most gorgeous lady in the world. Is here with me, and uh, that's my one wife, just making that clear. And we have three children, and uh, they are in the kids' ministry right now. I just need to publicly say sorry to the kids' workers because they'll probably take over. That's the type of kids they are. They are true PKs, pastors' kids. Uh, they're at three services every Sunday, every week, and uh, any of the extracurricular activities that church has, such as prayer meetings, etc., they are there as well. So they truly are known at life as church rats. Uh, but it's awesome to be here. Uh, we were actually planning a holiday to Vancouver, Canada, because that is where Melissa is from. And then COVID had other ideas. Yay. But uh, we thought we would get out of Level 2 Auckland and come to Level 1. Sorry if you don't like that, but uh, we're COVID-free. It's okay. Uh, but we, Melissa said to me, I'd love to take the kids to the snow, so let's go to Queenstown. And I thought, no, nah, Queenstown with young kids isn't that great. Let's go to Nelson. Didn't tell her that Nelson's the sunniest place in New Zealand. But we actually went down for a few days down to the lakes. And, you know, a couple of days ago, that cold snap that came through, 
Yep, I thought to myself, we'll go there and uh, I'll drive up one of the mountains and find some snow for the kids. That was before we got there. And then I didn't need to do that because we didn't have to go find the snow. It found us. And uh, we woke up to the first morning we were there, five or six centimeters of snow on the ground. So God was good. He answered Missy's prayers and the kids were very happy. It was a magical wonderland until it turned to slush. Uh, But it's been awesome to be up here and see a bit of Nelson. And uh, we're excited to be in church today. Church is the hope of the world. And uh, if it is your first time, welcome, as has already been said. But we're going to take a a look in a moment at the incredible Word of God. And I just, before I get to the Word, I I always want to take a moment for us to recognize and appreciate that this is not just a historical book, but it's the living Word of God. And the reason we base our faith around this book is that it changes your life. This book sets you and I up for a win. And I don't know about you, but I'm all for winning. Anyone with me? God is into you and I winning in life. I don't think I've ever met someone who wakes up looking forward to a day of losing. You know, you don't really meet someone and say, man, today I just really feel like losing. It's, it's not a part of who we are. We wake up desiring to win. And this book is a living word of God that helps you and I win in life. And we're going to look at a parable, and a parable is what Jesus used with stories that he used to teach his disciples, to teach you and I how the kingdom of heaven works here on earth, what it's like. Because the Bible says, if you're a believer in Jesus, that you come to an understanding that we are in this world, but we are not of this world. And before your mind starts going down the do 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 It's simply a realization that we have an empowerment of an almighty God through his word that lives in our lives here on earth to create a difference and to live a winning type of life. And whether it's your first time in church or like me, you've been in church your whole life. I believe that the power of his word and the words that we're going to read today will change your life for the better. God is a good God. God is faithful. And regardless and despite circumstance or realities that we find ourselves in, He is still God and He is still good. And I want you, if you've got your Bible, to open it to Matthew 20, the book of Matthew chapter 20, page 789 in my Bible. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, look on with a real Christian around you. Otherwise, I will put it on the screen. (laughs) It says this, Jesus teaching. Realize the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early one morning to hire workers for his vineyard. I noticed there's a lot of vineyards around here. It's the first time to Nelson. It's a pretty cool sight. And this scripture refers to someone similar to people around here. He went to hire workers for his vineyard. Verse 2, he agreed to pay the normal daily wage and sent them out to work. Seems very reasonable. Jesus goes on to say, at nine o'clock, three hours later, at nine in the morning, the landowner is passing through the marketplace again, and he saw some people standing around doing nothing. So he hired them and changed the spiel this time, telling them that he would pay them whatever was right at the end of the day. Verse five, so they went on to work in the vineyard, both at Midday, and then again at three in the afternoon, this vineyard worker, this vineyard owner did the same thing. And then at five o'clock, 11 hours on from his first trip to the marketplace, five in the evening, he went 
back into town and he saw more people standing around and he posed a question to them. Hey, why haven't you been out working today? And their response, because no one hired us. Very little personal ownership right there. (laughs) So the landowner at 5 p.m. told these guys, well, then go out and join the others in my vineyard. I'm sure they saw the other workers throughout the day being hired. So off they went at five o'clock that evening. And as we understand it, evening in this day and age was at 6 p.m. So one hour after the last had been hired, 12 hours after the first, as evening came, he told the foreman to call the workers in and pay them. Watch this. He told the foreman to pay the last workers first. So the guys that had been there for one hour got paid first. When those hired at five o'clock were paid, each received a full day's wage. Verse 10, when those hired first came to get their pay, watch this, they assumed. They assumed because they had been hired at 6 a.m., and had worked the whole day, that they would receive more. But they too were paid a day's wage. And now we have an interesting piece to the story. When they received their pay, they protested to the owner. Oi, those monkeys over there, they worked one hour, and yet you paid them just as much as you paid us who worked all day in the scorching heat. The landowner answered one of them, friend, I have not been unfair. Didn't you, wasn't it you that agreed to work all day for the usual wage? Take your money and go. (laughs) I wanted to pay this last worker the same as you. And then poses this question in verse 15. Is it against the law for me to do what I want to do with my money? Should you be jealous because I'm being kind to others? And verse 16, Jesus speaks these important words that we are focusing in on today. So those who are last now will be first then, and those who are first will be last. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness in our lives. Lord God, I thank you for all that you've done, all that you're doing, and all that you will do. And Lord, we pray right now that as we come around your word, that it would speak to us in a very real and a very relevant way. Father, I pray it wouldn't just be mere words on a page, but your living word would speak in and through our lives. We thank you for all that you are going to do in these next few moments, and we ask that we would hear your voice. I pray this wouldn't just be another message I preach, but Father, you would speak in and through my life to every single one of us here today in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. I've titled the message, Back to Front. Back to Front. Simply put, this passage of Scripture is very countercultural to the society you and I live in. And I don't know if you've ever been in a line waiting for something that's taking an extra long time only to see someone else jump in front of you, cut you off. I don't know what the traffic's like here in Nelson, but I can assure you in Auckland, it's a pain in the proverbial. <laughs> There are a lot of mornings that we sit in the traffic and trying to be a good, patient, law-abiding citizen, minding my own business in my own lane, only for someone else to try and snake the queue and cut in front of me, and it just slows everyone down. It's a, it's a painful experience when you are waiting and someone else cuts in front of you. 
Contrary to that is the opposite effect when somehow you get to go from the back of the line to the front of the line. I was actually just down the road at, uh, at the warehouse down in Richmond down there yesterday and we were waiting in line and it was taking quite a long time and then you know that there's about a queue of seven or eight of you and then they open another till but it's too far away and so the person at the back gets to go first. You're like, dang it. <laughs> yep, that happened yesterday. Praise the Lord. But I'll never forget traveling back to Auckland on a flight with Melissa. We had been away for a couple of days. We are at a domestic airport, and we were, truth be told, we were running a little bit late. And the domestic airports, obviously, they're not, you know, massive with heaps of customs and whatnot. So you tend to, well, I do, tend to leave it to the last minute. Maybe not a great approach. Uh, but we come around the corner only to discover a gigantic line through the scanning area. And the reason for it was there was three flights leaving at very similar times. And I remember as a very non-patient person starting to get worked up standing in the line that was not moving. I was looking at my watch. I could see the plane out through the window. And I'm thinking, this is not, this is not going well. And so, uh, you know, the Bible says you have not because you ask not. So I thought I'd put it to the test. And like a really good husband, I asked my wife to go ask if there was any way we could get to the front of the queue. <laughs> And as she went to see if we could get around, the answer was clearly no. And so we waited and we waited. And it, it felt like hours, but it was about five minutes. Uh, and then what I would deem an angel came out of nowhere. And this uh, airport staff lady came around the corner and she said, is there anyone in this line on the flight to Auckland? You beauty. Hands went up, a couple of others. And she came to the back of the line and she lifted up the little barrier arm and we walked down an empty line and I just felt like waving to everyone thank you thank you you know because it was one of the few times where it worked in my favor and although we deserved to be at the back of the queue because it was my fault we were late this lady had come and given us the ability to move to the front of the queue and this passage that Jesus teaches us about this parable is very important to our daily lives because it teaches you and I that if we would live our lives in a way where we trusted God, not our own wisdom, and we lived our lives countercultural to the society that tells you and I we must look after self, worry about self, and then the rest will work its way out. God says, no, no, if you lay your life down for others, I will look after you. I will transport you from the back of the line in society's eyes to the front of the queue in God's eyes. The kingdom of heaven works counterculturally to the kingdom of this earth, so to speak. But if you and I are honest, the reality is, naturally speaking, everything about us is self first. You know, I thought I was doing pretty well. Uh, as living my life for other people, growing up in the church, serving people. And then I got married and realized how selfish I really was. I realized that now because I had someone else that was a significant other that I loved with me, that it was going to take some sacrifice for this thing to work. And then I thought, yes, we're doing well. We've been married for a few years. And then kids came along. And then I really found out how selfish I was. <laughs> Because if you've had kids, you'll realize that there is a dependency on their behalf that is 24-7. This is our first official family holiday together. And uh, yeah, there's moments where I'm like, hmm, 
maybe we shouldn't have had kids. <laughs> as much as I love these guys, I'm feeling like I want my own space right now. You know what I'm talking about? Self is a part of our daily lives. But as I said earlier, God designed your life and my life to have an innate ability to want to win. And He's designed our life through His Word that if we align it, we will always win. But the challenge is, because self often overrules, we lose sight of the importance of the way God's designed our lives to be done. And then we start to buy into the culture of this world, and therefore, we try to be first in everything. And as the Word says, you keep doing that, that's cool. First will be last. But in this life, if you take a backseat approach and allow others to be first, you will be first. And God's kind of challenging you and I, I believe in this time, in this age, where a lot of people's sure foundations in financial security, sure foundations in their own wisdom have been shaken to the core. We are somewhat protected down here in a little island called New Zealand. But globally, there is a pandemic that is being faced and it's shaking foundations. And you and I can have a uh-oh moment or an aha moment. And the people that have grounded their life in God's ways are having aha moments. This is sure, and it is a foundation. People that know the word but don't know the word are having uh-oh moments. And I think sometimes we lose sight of the fact and the importance of God's living word and the way we should live our lives. And we, if we're not careful, are dangering on the idea that we are God ourselves. Romans 11 is a really challenging passage of Scripture. And you know, you know those Scriptures where it kind of gives you a slap in the face? And you're like, man, it would be good if that one's not in the Bible. <laughs> That's one of these ones. But I guess for me, reading this again afresh this week, it reminded me of how good and how great God is and how in control He is. It says this, Romans eleven thirty three to 36. Hey, who could ever wrap their minds around the riches of God, the depth of His wisdom and, marvel, and the marvel of His perfect knowledge? Who could ever explain the wonder of His decisions or search out the mysterious way He carries out His plans? For who has discovered how the Lord thinks or is wise enough to be the one to advise Him in His plans? Anyone been there? Hey, God, let's do it this way. Uh, Yeah, no, just me? Okay. Verse 35, who has ever first given something to God that obligates God to owe him something in return? Ouch. And because God is the source and sustainer of everything, everything you and I will find fulfillment in him. May all praise and honor be given to him forever. Amen. God is God and God is good. The Bible declares that God is no single person's debtor. If you chase after self, I found in my own life, as I chase after self, I only ever end up with self. But when I live God's principles and plan, I see his kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. So maybe today you, like me, need to take a step back on a daily basis and review how much of self is taking a prevalence in your everyday life, your everyday decision. Are you someone that, if you want to take a moment to think about it, would acknowledge, you know what? I'm trying to get to the front of the queue all the time. Yet I'm getting frustrated. Yet I'm getting annoyed. And maybe today God's wanting to wake you up to a reality that his way will cause you to get to the front of the queue a lot faster than your way will. So we're going to look at four 
simple thoughts out of this passage, this parable we read. And really, to me, it's the difference between winning or losing. No one likes to lose. Everyone likes to win. But I believe winning or losing in life ultimately comes down to where you and I live out from. Where you and I live out from. Number one, either fairness or fruitfulness. Fairness or fruitfulness. Isn't it interesting in the first verse of Matthew 20, we discover none of these guys had a job. None of them had anything. They were standing at the marketplace hoping for something. None of them had anything. But each of them who worked in that vineyard that day walked away fruitful. But isn't it interesting? Some walked away feeling fruitless, even though they were fruitful. I believe it was because they were living out of a place of fairness rather than fruitfulness. They assumed they would get more, the Scripture says, and they even protested because of their assumption in what they thought was rightfully theirs. They were looking for fairness rather than fruitfulness. And I think we need to be reminded, I, I constantly, every day need to be reminded that if you want fairness in life, then let's not forget how unfair from God's perspective it is that we get forgiveness. We don't like to look at it that way because it's a bit awkward. But the Bible makes it clear that whilst you and I were still sinners, Christ died for us. God chose you and he chose me before we could ever choose him. It's not fair, the gospel. <laughs> Quite the contrary. It doesn't make sense. Because in our day and age, if you do something right, you get rewarded. Whereas the Bible makes it clear that we all fall short. Yet God's fruitfulness for us outweighs the fairness of how it should be. In fact, it goes on in Ephesians 3 verse 6 and makes the point this way. Hey, this is God's plan. That both Gentiles and Jews, those who were back in the day in right standing with God and those who were sinners, both all of us, basically, is what it's saying. Anyone who believes in the good news shares equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are a part of the same body and both enjoy the promises of blessing because they belong to Christ Jesus. Not because we chose him, but because he chose us. I don't know about you, but I'm glad to be reminded today that God's grace is more than enough for our lives and more than enough for our every, every need. We don't deserve his grace. Yet in his infinite love for us, he chooses to give it to us. Let's be people that don't live out of a fairness mentality. That's going to cause you to lose, but live in a fruitfulness mentality. Secondly, winning and losing in life comes down to whether you live out of obligation or out of opportunity. It's interesting to me in this parable where we can learn... Uh, a fair few things, but I believe a trap that we fall into quite often in church life is this idea that we want God to use us or give us an opportunity, and if we're not careful, it quickly slides into the category of obligation. Again, no one had a job at the beginning of the day, and an opportunity was presented at 6 a.m., so much so to the point where Jesus makes the point that they were offered 
A full day's work for a full day's wage. Very clear, very simple. Happy at 6 a.m., very unhappy at 6 p.m. What changed? The opportunity became an obligation. They obligated of the owner in a protest as to what he should owe them because of the fact they slogged it out in the hot sun. And the person who came in in the shade of the day and only worked for an hour got the same amount. Yet, as Jesus teaches, the landowner says, hey, I haven't been unfair. You said yes, and I paid you what you said yes to. And then fairness, if we're not careful, turns into obligation. People often say in church life, pray this prayer, God, use me. And then they're like, man, do I have to turn up again and serve? So when you're the one that asked for the opportunity, when did it become obligation? You know those moments where it's like, man, I would love to be on the welcome team or I'd love to make coffee in the foyer or I'd love to be on the prayer team or the worship team or I'd love to you know, help people find a seat and then the roster comes out and you're like, jeepers, every two weeks? Now, surely it can't be a fortnight. I feel like it was on last week. You know what I mean? This obligation mentality comes in because it's what happens in life. The moment opportunity shifts into obligation, we start to lose. Romans 4 verse 4 to 5 says this in the Passion Translation. Hey, when people work, they earn wages. It can't be considered a free gift because they earned it. But no one, not one of us, earns God's righteousness. It can only be transferred when we no longer rely on what we can do. But when we believe in who He is and who He powerfully and incredibly declares over our lives the ungodly to be righteous in his eyes. This is the best part. It is the faith, your belief and my belief in who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Our faith in believing in him that transfers God's ultimate righteousness into our accounts. Here we have a loving God and a broken humanity and a bridge in between called Jesus. It's our faith in our brokenness and who Jesus is and what he said and what he did that gets us into right standing with our loving God. But you and I need to move out of what is commonly seen as an obligation. God, I'm going to turn up to church. God, I turn, I've prayed these prayers. God, I've turned up to church and I've served you. And that friend of mine isn't getting healed. What is going on? It's like I'm obliging him <laughs> because of, something that's in my head that was the right way to do it versus God I'm thankful for this opportunity to come into your house and to meet in your presence and engage with your righteousness here's where you can identify here's where I've had to identify when it's obligation or opportunity when we say we have to go to church when we say we have to serve rather than man we get to let's change our have to's into get to's that's where losing becomes winning. Thirdly, when we live out a place of envy or enjoyment, that's the difference between winning and losing. Are we envious or are we enjoying life? Let's put it in this kind of question. Are you content or discontent right now with life? Are you living discontent, waiting for that one day? Are you living discontent, waiting to have what they have? Are you living discontent, hoping and praying that it just all turns around? Or are you content with where you're at and who God is now? He is the same yesterday. 
today and will be the same forevermore. And that should give us enough ability to live content. Comparison never helps. When you're looking at someone else and saying, I wish I had what they had, it doesn't help. But isn't it interesting that if you go on a missions trip yourself or you talk to someone that does and they go to the other side of the world where there is not a lot, where there is true poverty, they all come back saying the same thing. Man, it wasn't necessarily that I had an opportunity to make a difference. What moved me the most was seeing how content someone was where they had nothing. So much so to the point where people often have to come back and they have to do a big purge because they feel so impacted by the reality and people have such a genuine connection with God and are content in life even though they wouldn't have 90%, 9% of the stuff we have. God wants you and I to enjoy life, not live out of envy in life. Psalm 103 verse 8 to 17 says this, The Lord is compassionate and merciful. He's slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us nor remain angry forever. He does not punish us for all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. For his unfailing love towards those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. Verse 14, for he knows how weak we are. Sometimes I think we often forget this, but it says here, he remembers we are only dust. Our days on earth are like grass, like wildflowers. We bloom and we die. Real encouraging. (laughs) The wind blows and we are gone as though we had never been here. Yay. Verse 17. But it is the love of the Lord that remains forever for those who actually fear him. Who are you fearing? You're fearing COVID? You're fearing the economy? You're fearing your neighbor? (laughs) You're fearing that family engagement that's coming up? Fear is rightfully put in the place of a relationship with God when we understand the goodness and the grace and the way God designed our lives to be and we live fearful of how he asks us to live. We move out of a losing position into a winning one. We go from the back of the line to the front of the queue. And then finally, I think one that probably has been a big challenge for me because the fairness and fruitfulness I've had to work through, the obligation opportunity I continually work through, envy and enjoyment's another one that's not necessarily going to go away. But I think this one's quite easy for humanity, for all of us to slip into. The difference between winning and losing is whether you're whining or worshipping. Whining or worshipping. I think simply the way I would put it is the difference between you having to know it all and you trusting that God's got it all. I'm 34 years of age. I made a decision as a three-year-old kid to say yes to Jesus and by God's grace, I've walked with him. I've had to outwalk it. I never forget as a 19-year-old going to Bible college at Hillsong in Sydney, Australia, and two weeks in to being at Bible college as a pastor's kid, I'm thinking to myself, I don't know if I believe this stuff. 
Like, is this just something that my parents made me do and here I am? Probably not a great question to be asking at Bible college, but I was asking it. (laughs) And for the next two weeks, I had to wrestle with my faith to get to a point where it was personal. But often we come to God and we think, hey, uh, I've been doing this for a little while now, God, or your word says this and I'm not seeing it in my life. And if we're not careful, instead of coming to him to worship him, we come to him to whine to him. And I've got three awesome kids, as I said, Ruby, who's seven, Bella, who's five, and the little man-child, Cruz, who's three. Thinks he's about 13, but he's only three. But Ruby, in particular, has a really annoying whining voice. Just going to put that out there. (laughs) Ruby will often come to me, certainly when Bella came along and was of an age where she would give her own back. And Ruby would enter the room, quite often still does this. Dad! Any parents out there know what I'm talking about? And I find myself putting my hand up, saying, shh, 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 shh. Turn around. Go back out. When you're ready to talk to me, come back in. But, but, no, no, uh, 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 uh. Go back out. Why is that? Well, number one, it's an annoying noise and I don't like hearing it. <laughs> but number two, whining comes with a preconceived idea. She's already decided in her mind how it should be and wants to make the point clear. Is not up for a discussion. Yet, Worship is about an exchange. We just had a great series here on worship. And more than a song, it's an exchange that takes place. It's a connection that takes place. And until Ruby's ready to enter the room and say, excuse me, Dad, I'm not ready to engage in the conversation because I know I may say something, but it's going nowhere because the perspective of this little seven-year-old's life has already been predetermined. How many of us, here's the challenge, come to God with a predetermined idea? of what he should be doing, how it should be going. And we, if we don't intentionally do it, we find ourselves unintentionally whining rather than coming in and worshiping where an actual perspective shift and change could take place and God could actually enlighten your life and my life to the wisdom that he has. And we would walk out a different way. We walked in on a Sunday morning. We would get up. And we would discover in his presence his goodness for that day and what is needed. But often we get to a point in our frustration and God's a far, far, far greater God or more loving than of a father than I am to my kids. As much as I love them, God's, I don't think he's there going, shh, 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 shh. <laughs> he's all encompassing. He's all embracing. He can deal with our stuff. Trust me. He knew your stuff before it even came along and he still chose you. But if we would turn our position to a place of worship, of exchange, our perspective alignment would take place. Jeremiah 29, uh, sorry, Jeremiah 9, 23 to 24 says this. Hey, this is what the Lord says. Don't let the wise boast in their wisdom or the powerful boast in their power or the rich boast in their riches. But those who wish to boast should boast in this alone, that they truly know me and understand that I am the Lord who demonstrates unfailing love and brings justice and righteousness to the earth and that I delight in these things. I, the Lord, have spoken. You know what? I think our lives will win each and every day if you and I decide this is not just a Sunday thing, but every day I get up, I'm going to worship God. 
I'm going to come to God and say, God, I, I thank you for who you are. I acknowledge you are the Lord of my life. And in whatever today brings, I choose to do it and glorify you. Because no matter what comes, you've predetermined to trust, not predetermined to whine, so to speak. That's where we win. And I'm thankful you need to be reminded that God distributes His love according to His grace, not according to our debt. So wherever you find yourself on this journey, don't put yourself down. Don't despise what's taking place. The enemy wants you and I to live in condemnation, but that's not how God works. God says, hey, just just remember, while you were still in your stuff, I chose you. Like it's gonna be okay. I am God. I created you for a plan and a purpose and I'm here with you. You don't have to turn away from me. You can turn toward me. And it's in the decision that we make to accept His grace. I know it doesn't make sense in our mindset, but that is the kingdom of God. It's such a back to front way of living where we would put others first, but it's in those moments that we do that God takes us forward far faster and far greater than we could do by trying to jostle to the front ourselves. When we live in a way where we put ourselves at the back of the queue, we'll always end up at the front of the line because of God's goodness. It's the way of the kingdom. Just before I hand it back to Pastor Jared, if you're here and you say, man, that's good stuff, but it's challenging. Yep, we're all on the journey together. I hope you don't ever find a perfect Christian here because there aren't any but I hope you find genuine people seeking after a real and a perfect God. And when you and I get okay with where we're at in life, have other people surround us and ultimately have God as the Lord of our life, that's ultimately where success starts to take place. We all want to win in life, but the the Bible makes it really clear that Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. Religion is simply a list of rules or regulations that you need to measure up to to be acceptable to receive what would be the reward. Yet a relationship is where two parties agree. The Bible says God's already agreed. All you and I need to do is agree. And in that moment, relationship takes place. And you don't have to join a church to discover that. You don't have to get it all right to discover that. But you do need to acknowledge your need for Him in your life. In fact, the Bible says it's this simple, that any human being that would cause their heart to believe in Jesus and confess with their mouth that He is Lord, they shall be saved. All of eternity secure. That's where winning starts to take place because you now have God on your side. Maybe it is your first time in church, your first time hearing this thing called a relationship with Jesus. Well, it is that simple and it's a starting point that I believe will change your life forever. I believe it's the best decision any human being could make. Better than picking the right numbers in lotto is a decision to say yes to the creator of all the heavens and the earth. That's where you discover the fullness of joy. That's where you discover the fullness of peace. That's where you discover the fullness of life. Why? Because he designed you for a plan and a purpose. But here's the thing, God's a gentleman. He'll never force himself upon you. That's not who he is. Relationship happens when two willing parties agree, not when there's force. So God, the Bible says, stands at the door of our heart and knocks and he waits. The moment we let him in is the moment you discover the fullness of all that he has for you. And so I'm gonna pray a prayer. I'd love to include you in this prayer. It's a prayer of acceptance, a prayer of invitation, inclusion. And as you pray it and you believe it, I believe God's gonna enter your heart and your life. I don't think you're gonna sound any different. I don't think you're gonna look any different. You're not gonna smell any different. 
something significant takes place on the inside of your life and you are now connected to your Creator. And life starts to make sense. So I'm going to ask every head to be bowed, every eye to be closed. And I'm going to ask everyone in a moment to repeat these words after me. But if you're in this room, you're here today and you say, you know what, Luke, you're speaking to me. I I don't have a relationship with Jesus. Maybe that's because no one's ever given you the opportunity. Well, here's your opportunity to make the greatest decision of all. Or maybe you once made that decision, but if you're really honest, you say, you know what, my heart, my life is away from Christ. There's compromise, there's there's sin in my life, and I need to come back to a relationship with Jesus. Then with no one looking around for the privacy of those I'm speaking to, you say, Luke, could you include me in this prayer? I would love to, but I'm going to ask you to be bold enough to lift your hand high enough and long enough for me to see it. Once I see it, I'll acknowledge it. You can put that down just so I know who I'm praying for today. You say, yeah, that's me. I'd like to say yes to the greatest decision of all. Awesome champion. I see your hand. I believe it's a decision you'll never regret. And I don't want to talk you into it because that means someone can talk you out of it. But if you're away from God, you say, yeah, can I join with these people that are making a decision? Why don't you lift your hand right now? And then we're going to pray. Awesome, awesome. Great decisions. I'm going to get everyone to pray these words after me. I see your hand over there as well. Fantastic. And I want all of us just to pray them out loud. Pray them like we mean them. Say, God, today I give you my life. I'm sorry for my sin and trying to do my own thing. Today, I choose you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for loving me, forgiving me, and giving me a fresh start. I declare I'm a follower of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, can we celebrate every single person that made those decisions? Amazing. Amazing. Let's take a moment longer. Let's just thank Pastor Luke for that incredible word. Come on, why don't we just honour him today? We hope you enjoyed this message. If you're wondering what your next step in your faith journey looks like, please get in touch with us. Email us at info at or visit our website, annasbrook.co.nz.